Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I started this podcast and wrote my books, really, because I, when I became a mom, I realized there was so much that I wish that someone had told me. I even called one of my girlfriends who had had children younger than me, and I had had children pretty young, I thought. And I said, why didn't you tell me how hard this is? Like, why did you lie? And she's like, there's just no way to talk about it until you go through it, I guess. And I think that I just needed somebody to, to tell me every little thing that I didn't know. And so when I wrote Mystical Motherhood, I did it for that purpose of, gosh, I wish I would have known about feeding schedules. I wish that I would have known about growth periods. I wish I would have known about cesarean birth, home birth, all these different things. I wish I would have known that the baby, you know, can hear me in the womb. All the things I've taught in Mystical Motherhood, all the guests I brought on, on spirituality and pregnancy and birth and postpartum and parenthood have taught me a lot, but also hopefully taught you guys a lot of things we didn't know. And then when you know better, you do better. And so this guest today, Dr. Duger, is awesome. She's really down to earth. She's super calm. She knows her work. She is um, Dr. Stephanie Duger. She's an author. She's an educator. She's a psychotherapist who works primarily with expectant parents um, and brand new parents and their little babies. So she came on this podcast today on Mystical Motherhood to teach us all about preparing for parenthood. So she works in psychotherapy within Boulder, and she also works coaching internationally of helping, you know, people prepare for parenthood. We take all these birth classes or we read all these birth books, but then we don't know what to do when the baby comes out. And so she talks to parents on how to do that. And we talk about that on this, on this episode today. And we talk about, you know, anxiety in motherhood and, you know, the issues that come up between couples that can lead to divorce. And how do you work through those things? Uh, how do you talk to the baby in the womb? We, we, she is an author for, you know, perinatal psychology and health, which is, you know, at the forefront of talking about the importance of, you know, perinatal health, but also what my work is all about, which is, you know, talk to the baby in the womb, know that everything you're thinking, saying and doing and eating is programming that child. And so this conversation was really good, really calm, really easy, really easy to listen to. I think if you aren't having a baby right now, but you know somebody who might be having a baby, send it to them. This would be something that I'd want to have if I was expecting to have a baby or just had a baby or was in, in new and within parenthood and had a lot of questions. If you like this podcast, please leave a five-star review. If you have any questions for me, reach out to me at mysticalmotherhood.com or email me at mysticalmotherhood at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at mysticalmotherhood or pritamatma and I'll message you back. If you'd like to find more about Dr. Stephanie Duger, please look in the notes for her website. She has a book called Preparing for Parenthood, The 55 Essential Conversations for Couples Becoming Families. Crucial, crucial information. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoy. 
Hello, welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have Dr. Duger here, and we're going to have a conversation like I always have with amazing guests that educate us on so many things, perinatal and birth and postpartum and parenthood. Um, Dr. Duger is going to go ahead and introduce herself and what her work is, and then we're going to go into a lot of different questions specifically around preparing for parenthood today. So go ahead. I can't wait to hear from you. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Um, So yes, I'm I'm Stephanie Duger and I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, And I am a psychotherapist, a parent coach, author, educator. Um, I I could probably add a few more things on there like parents, dog parents, other things. Um, and my work specifically focuses on working with expectant and new parents and their little ones up to about age five um, and just helping them try to have an easier transition into parenthood and, and early parenthood. Because um, I think at least in North America, in, in this kind of culture, um, we're, we kind of do things on our own. Everyone's kind of separated into their own little homes and we can feel kind of isolated and like we're not doing things well or there's a lot of pressure to do things a certain way. And so my goal is to try to reach as many people as I can um, to let them know that they're not alone, that moving into parenthood can be challenging, that raising little ones can be challenging as well as amazing and wonderful Um, And to just help them help ease some of those bumps a little bit, because um, I was an older mom. I didn't have my first child until I was 37, had my second at 42. And um, I had spent a lot of time, most of my adult life prior to that, um, working as an educator, working as a coach, working as a psychotherapist. And I worked specifically with families and um I kind of naively thought that it would be easier to become a parent <laughs> um, because I'd had so much experience and I, I love to read. I felt like I read every single book out there. Um, and my husband's also a therapist. And so we were like, yeah, we've got this. We're so excited to be parents. And the reality was it was um, really humbling, honestly. Um, so it was hard and we we were resourced and we were, you know, we had some support, but I was surprised at the, you know, the physical transition that happened, the, the challenges that happened with not sleeping and challenges breastfeeding and all of these pieces and some of the challenges that happened in relationship. Um, and so I, I went into... Um, becoming a pre and perinatal psychologist. Um, so I'm trained as a clinical psychologist. I work as a psychotherapist. Um, and my focus was really on pre and perinatal psychology and health. And I learned so much about my own experience coming into the world, my experience um, bringing a baby and then two babies into the world. Um, and it, it was just so, so eye-opening. So I really wanted to help parents because I know a lot of people don't kind of focus on that time period. When parents find you, what are the common issues are they're coming to you for? Because it takes somewhat of a 
conscious human to be like, I've got some problems. What the heck is it because they are fighting with each other most of the time? Or is it because they're exhausted or their career is being challenged or their roles are challenged? Tell us what. Yes. Yeah. All of that. <laughs> all of that, I would say. Um, so often people find me because um, they also had a harder transition into parenthood than they thought they would. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think a lot of us, we go into like, go through a pregnancy or for some people they um you know adopt a child um and they are they're caught up in kind of the honeymoon right like it's for a lot of people um that can be a kind of blissful experience you're feeling if you have a partner you're feeling connected to your partner there's like all this love and baby showers and blessing ways and all of these other things that are so yummy and delicious and then you go through the birth and everyone has a different experience of the birth and you're tossed into new parenthood. And for some people, um, not many that I've spoken to, but for some people that's an easy transition and challenges come along later. But for most people who find me, um, they're having a hard time, right? So it's, I'm not sleeping. My baby's not sleeping. My partner and I are fighting all the time. We, you know, have a great relationship and I don't know what happened. Um, you know, roles are a huge thing. Um, you know, I, I always was the money manager and now I'm constantly nursing my baby or something like that. And, um, my partner's going out and working and they come home and they're like, why isn't the house clean? but I've been busy all this time. So there's tension, there's, um, there's concern sometimes. Um, and often people also find me because of birth trauma or, you know, trauma during pregnancy and they're having a hard time. And so they might be struggling with, um, a perinatal mood disorder or something like that. And, and they're, they're worried. They need, um, kind of immediate help. Um, and they're worried about attachment, Right. And so like if I'm if I'm feeling depressed or super anxious, how is that impacting my attachment, um, my baby's attachment to me? So those are the the main pieces that people come to me for. So before I jump into some two primary questions on your work, I want to just at the very end, you said attachment issues, perinatal, like, you know, issues right after you give birth. How would you know as a mom, as a woman even let's say later in time that you're you're not functioning as a parent like it 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 takes a lot for someone to admit that and mm-hmm. and it, obviously we know it causes a lot of issues within the child in the long term what are the signs that uh women and men can look at that they are not doing well mm-hmm. that's a great question and i want to just preface it with a um a little personal story which is as a therapist, <laughs> um, I went through some pretty severe anxiety postpartum and I couldn't see it. And so um, it took my husband and some friends to be like, hey, I'm wondering how you're doing. It seems like you're pretty high strung around this and this. Um, maybe we could, you know, get you some support. And so 
that in itself, like being trained in this work and still not being able to see it. <laughs> um, I, I just want to like put that out there because it is hard. Like you said, it's hard to see it when you're in it. Um, you might not feel like yourself, um, but if you are with a partner or you have friends who can say, hey, like sleep is the number one issue, right? Sleep impacts your mood tremendously. So if you're not sleeping, the likelihood that you will have some kind of mood issue come up um, is amplified a hundred times. So um, if you're not sleeping, if you're feeling, wow, I'm kind of dragging through every day or I'm not, I'm not doing this right. I'm not a good parent. I, um, my child isn't attached to me. Um, I feel nervous all the time or I feel down all the time. Um, we can even get um, postpartum OCD. So like I'm scared to walk up and down the stairs with my baby because what if I fall? Um, you know, things like that, like repetitive ruminating thoughts. Um, those kinds of things are red flags. Um, but often it takes somebody outside to really say, hey, um, it's a strength to seek support when you need it. Um, and so let's get you some help. And there are so many, you know, great options out there, even free options. Um, you know, Postpartum Support International is a really great resource um, if you're in crisis or just need some help right on the spot. And when, when I'm, another thing I see, I saw myself and I see it like in everybody is, and this can be happening for years into motherhood, is the balance between women working and being with like in their nature, I think the nature of a woman is really to be with the children. Now I'm going against all feminism by saying that, but I think we're going against our nature when we, when we desire, I'm, I, I'm constantly fighting my nature. I really love working and I'm driven to work. I love it, you know, and, and that's my programming. I don't know, but I know that my nature is just be at home with the kids. Right. So how do you recommend women struggling with that and their worth? Because I'm sure you see that all the time. Yeah. So another great question. Um, I also struggled with that. I um, And I think maybe that was one of the challenges of having children a little bit later um, was I'd already had multiple careers, right? And so I was really driven in that way. Um, and I decided... Um, to stay home the, in the early years with my children. And um, I remember going to a, a gathering, one of our friends had a, had a reception and I went to the reception with an itty bitty on me and some young guy, you know, in his twenties uh, walked over and, you know, just started up a conversation and said, well, what do you do? And I just went blank. And I just, it's like, what do I do? Uh, and all that could come out was like, I'm a mom. And he kind of turned white and he was like, okay. And he walked off and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go get a drink. And it just hit me in that moment of like, what, what do I do? Who am I? Who am I now? Right. Um, and it took a long time to really reconcile who am I now? And what's, what are my priorities and what do I want to put my energy towards? And so 
when women have that um, experience or, you know, there's so many women who need to go back to work, right? Like it's um, your benefits or you're going to, you know, lose your job after X number of weeks if you don't go back. And so they go back and maybe they're not ready um, and they're so emotional, right? And they're trying to pump at work and do all this stuff and it's so hard on them. Um, and then there are others who are like, I'm just going to stay home. Um, and then they're like, well, now who am I? Right. And so there's this constant, um, I feel like push and pull for women specifically around, um, what am I meant to do here? Like, how do I best serve on the planet? Um, who am I, um, where does my self-worth come from, um, and, and how do we just help build up whatever your choice is, whether you want to go back to work full-time or part-time or not at all? How do we just help women have um, the experience of being enough, right? So when you're working with a woman or a couple, how do you help them with the identity changes, so what would be like exactly the things you'd say to them and what would be their homework of, you know, their identity change, which is what we're kind of moving into. And then second is how do you prepare a male like that doesn't know what the heck is going to happen? And like, they're, they're like cute. You look cute in your little maternity clothes. Right. And then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so ideally, um, I get to them before they become parents. So we have all those conversations, um, and we have them based on that couple's own values and beliefs about the world and what they want to do. And so it's really, um, you know, eye opening for, for everyone involved of like, things are going to change dramatically, especially within that six to eight weeks immediately postpartum, like, um, partner, you're going to have to really step up and you're going to have to get lots of external support as well. Like there's so much going on. You're just going to be in it. And most likely you're going to have some challenges around sleep or, um, however you choose to feed your baby. Um, and inevitably there are going to be some serious role changes happening at least in the short term. And so how do you set that up for success? So um, I always tell the story about how my own husband came home um, and he had taken some paternity leave. Um, but once he went back to work, he was, you know, working full time and came back. And I was just so overwhelmed. Um, you know, and I, I hadn't change. Like I still had my bathrobe on. I hadn't showered. The house was a mess. There was no food. And, and he came back and he was like, Steph, what did you do all day? And I, <laughs> you know, as most people in that situation, like I wanted to strangle him. I was like, what do you mean? What did I do all day? I've been nursing our baby and trying to get her down for a nap and trying to sleep. And, you know, there's just, you can't understand it until you're in it. Right. And so um, it was so helpful for us to have that conflict. And he's like, oh, I'm like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like I had no idea what was happening until I could see it like around the clock. What was like, you're up all night and you're sleeping during the day and you're just trying to survive. Um, and so in terms of 
helping people understand that experience. It's really like sharing the stories and talking about how to be gentle with each other, talking about how to support each other to get more sleep, um, talking about the importance of, you know, if you can get other people to bring you food for the first couple months and just stock your fridge so that you're not doing all that extra work or you get people to shop for you or you get home delivery of food or something like that to ease the stress around those role changes. Um, you know, people who have pets, it's like, who's going to take care of the pets? Like you always took the dog for a walk. Um, how do you get your friend needs met when um, no one's getting their needs met really? Um, so just talking a lot about those role changes and preparing people. And what I see most often is um, the resentments build up, right? So um, a partner will come in and say, you know, we haven't been intimate in forever and I'm feeling resentful and, you know, you should be able to step up now at six weeks and like, let's move forward with this. And maybe the, the birth mom is like, I'm just not there. Like my body's not there. I've had someone on me all day long. I don't want to be touched. You know, there are all these pieces that come in that um, bring up challenges for couples. Um, and if you're doing it single-handedly as a parent, you're single parenting, um, that's another whole piece of, you know, the struggle of trying to figure out how to do that by yourself. It's, it's a tall order. It's a tall order with two people. Yeah. I used to be like an advocate for single parents and I am not now. Mm. No, not a good idea. It's just, it's, it's not like how, I don't know if it's God, I'd say the word God here, but it's like man and a woman, we're meant to have a baby. And there's a reason for that because there's a, there's an exhaustion level of it. And I, I mean, I know that women do it all the time and they choose to do it. But I know the women that are, maybe they're choosing to do it, so they're psychologically prepared for it. But then the women that are doing it and kind of still alone are not perfectly partnered in their relationship. It's just they're really struggling in their bodies. They're getting sick. They are gaining weight. They're not working properly. Like everything I can see affected by it, by the imbalance. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, huge respect to people who are, you know, I've, I've talked with moms who's, um, you know, partners suddenly, you know, passed away right after birth and things like that. People who are tossed into that situation unexpectedly. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who are trying to do that by themselves. It's so hard. And I think in some cultures, you know, where there's more of a, a village aspect and you have um, lots of you know, family around and people who are helping out, some people can manage it. But I think in general, at least in, in this culture in North America, I feel like, again, we're so isolated. Um, we have to go out of our way to get a lot of extra support. And um, it's just, it's really challenging. It's really, again, really challenging with two people. If you're doing it by yourself, it's um, extremely hard, I think. So with parents, when they come in and can you see when they're going to get divorced? Like, can you be, can you say, okay, you guys are 50, 50 chance or because this is when the, I feel like a lot of the issues come up for people. Like we were fine until 
these children came, right? And it's like, well, you weren't really fine. You were probably both living your separate lives and not paying attention to each other. And then you have to because something brought you together. And it brings up all the things that were underneath. What are the things that you see within couples, even as you know the children grow older, that create divorce within the couple relationship? And then how do you see behavioral issues in children as a reflection of the parents? Mm. Yeah, so hopefully they get to me before they're on the brink of divorce. <laughs> um, and, you know, the one of the highest rates of um, couples splitting up, whether they're married or not, um, happens within like the first few years of having a, a baby, right? So for a lot of people, it's a breaking point. And I think you said it just right, like it, there are usually a lot of issues that were there prior, um, but one of the ways like I think you can turn it, you can help people turn this around um, because they have a common goal. Usually parents want to see their children thrive. And um, sometimes it's just, you know, hey, you really have to grow up um, and step in in a way you've never had to. And how do we help you do that so that you don't end up getting divorced or don't, don't end up splitting up? if that's not what you want. And so um, really helping them um, kind of develop empathy for their partner, um, really being gentle, really learning to communicate very well. That's the number one thing. Finding a way to um, do intimacy, if that's a challenge. Um, for a lot of people, that's a big challenge. Um, and, you know, otherwise you're just, you're just kind of friends living together. And so it's the communication, it's the intimacy, it's the being gentle, it's having, um, it's stretching way beyond what you thought you could handle. Um, because what you have to handle now with a baby is so far beyond, um, what you could imagine as, um, a person, just an adult on your own. Um, and so the the red flags that I see, like the big ones are that are kind of the non-negotiables um, are sometimes, uh, you know, if there's cruelty involved, right? Like if, if you're really not kind to your partner, um, you know, so sometimes I'll see people, partners putting, you know, their wife or husband or partner down. Um, that's always a, a red flag. Um, and sometimes that can be mitigated and sometimes it can't. Um, other pieces are like a lack of investment. So if a person isn't invested in staying together or raising a child together, um, you can feel it, like, right? There's like this wobble and ambivalence and yeah, like, yeah, I want to do it, but they're not showing up and they're not actually doing the work. Um, and so those are those are the pieces that I look for and I call it out, right? I'm like, this is what I see. Are you in or are you out, right? This is what I'm hearing you say to your partner. Um, how do you imagine that makes him or her feel, right? And and just being like super clear about it. I'm like, you you know, you have a child now. Your, your job in this world now is to raise this child um, and you're not showing up in the way that I imagine you want to show up. So how do we shift that? So those are kind of the big, the big pieces. And then um, part two of your question was about the children and how. Um, yeah, about, you know, 
A lot of people blame their children for the behavioral issues. It's like crazy to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or they're like this child, when I see a child like running around and they're like, oh, it's too much candy or something. I'm like, no, it's because you're so full of anxiety that you can't chill out enough that your kid's nervous system can't calm down because you can't, but they can't see it. So like, how do you tell someone it's their anxiety? Yeah. What? And I tell think- me. <laughs> Totally. I think, I think, and I want to preface this by just saying, I think there's a little nature and there's a little nurture, probably more nurture than nature in general. But, um, you know, some, like we all come into the world with different temperaments and um, different, you know, biology and all of that. So there is sometimes a piece that plays into that. And there's a tremendous amount we can do as parents to nurture our children to have the best experience possible, right? And so you're saying that just right. Like if you're super anxious as a parent, your um, your little one, especially um, a child under the age of five, um, is feeding off your nervous system, right? And and this is true regardless of age. So you'll still see it in teenagers and young adults. When you're in the room with someone who's really anxious or uptight or edgy, it impacts everybody in the room, right? You just feel it. You're like, oh, something's off or what's wrong with this person or whatever. But especially for a little person when they don't necessarily have the words to, you know, to describe what's happening, they'll just show up. However, they're they're perfect mirrors for a parent. Right. So whatever you um, see in your child is often just a reflection of exactly how you are maybe at that moment. Right. And it's such a a hard thing for a lot of parents because they, you know, children will show us the best parts of themselves, but also they'll show us the worst parts of ourselves. Right. And so something's really, you're having a really hard day and you're kind of snapping at your child and all of a sudden your child snaps back at you and you're like, you know, how dare that child speak to me like this. Right. And then you're like, Oh, I've been speaking to them all day like that. Right. Um, And so it's, it can be helpful. Like I feel really hesitant around um, blaming People, I don't think that's helpful. So um, it's really kind of a a skill around bringing up these pieces of like, hey, I'm wondering if maybe, you know, can you check in with your body, see if you're feeling anxious right now, or see if you're feeling angry about something or resentful about something. And it's getting kind of twisted into a a passive aggressive way that you're relating to your child or, um, you know, and, and often parents will kind of have that realization. They'll say, well, yeah, you know, I've been really stressed about this. Okay. How can we help support you so that you're getting some of your needs met so that you're feeling less anxious so that you're able to sleep better, whatever the issue is, um, help them get that support so that um, they can show up in the way that they probably want to show up as a parent. And could you define for everyone, what is anxiety? How would you know if you have it? 
how like people are like, oh, that's she's anxious. But like, what does it feel like if you're anxious? Yeah. So anxiety um, is kind of one end of your nervous system spectrum. So anxiety on one end, depression on the other. Right. And ideally, we like to be hovering right in between the two. Right. And somewhere like a nice homeostasis right here. And sometimes something stressful will happen and our nervous system ramps up. Right. And so um, if you've had the experience of, um, you know, having to slam on the brakes in your car. Right. And you're you're driving at normal speed. Somebody stops short in front of you or a dog runs out and you slam on the brakes and you have that that, you know, in sharp in breath and kind of scare. That's kind of where your nervous system is at in anxiety. It's in that like intense heightened state where um, it can't settle. Right. Whereas depression, the other end of that is it can't get enough energy going. Right. And so. Um, when you are in an anxious state, you might, people who are, um, deal with general anxiety all the time have a very good sense of this, or people who have, um, you know, panic attacks and things like that are very familiar with this experience where, um, your nervous system feels geared up all the time. Like it's hard to settle down. It's hard to relax. It might be hard to get to sleep. Um, in the worst case scenarios, like if you're having a panic attack, you might feel like you're having a heart attack, right? And so it's like the super, you know, you get sweaty and your palms are sweaty and your heart's beating fast and um, you have a ton of adrenaline pumping through you, right? And so that's kind of like the most extreme end of anxiety. Um, and so if you are someone who has grown up feeling anxious or being an anxious person, it can be hard to see it, right? Because this is just normal for you. And sometimes it looks like people who um, can't not do anything, right? They're constantly moving. They're constantly working. It's go, 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 go. Because when they slow down and stop, um, they have to feel things they don't want to feel. I was just talking about this in the last podcast. Um, but it's the most profound healing is when you slow down. Now, was I was going to ask you something about that. Now, what do you find that is not medications that would help with this? Because this seems to be like the, the new words are trauma-informed and anxiety. And like, these are like <laughs> these new words. And I think it's a lot of just social media. I don't know. But what would be like things that you see that, I, I mean, I worked in alternative medicine for a while too. So I, I know a lot of the secrets, but what do you see in your practice that really helps people? So some of the best research, like the meta research that's out right now, talks about um, how both anxiety and depression can be treated just as well with things like exercise and meditative practices as with medication. So um, while I think medication is helpful for some people when they really need it, um, and I would never suggest going off it if you are on it, I want to just really clarify that. Always talk to your doctor, do your own thing. Um, However, adding in things like exercise, if you don't exercise regularly, 
being careful about what you eat, like the, the basics, right? Sleep, sleep hygiene, um, exercise, food, water in, um, all of these pieces that are so critical just to our um, biological being, they work, right? They work to help reduce anxiety, to reduce depression, things like that. And so anything that you can do in that regard to help yourself is a positive. Um, also things like, um, you know, too much screen time. We spend a lot of time in front of screens, whether it's our phone or computer, work, social time, whatever, um, cutting back on that. I always encourage people to do something like um, yoga or stretching or some kind of meditative practice, um, just getting used to feeling your body, feeling the breath coming in and out. Um, I have a tool that I give to almost all of my clients um, for those in the moment stressful times that can lead to like heightened anxiety which is such a simple tool. And um, I believe I learned this from Annie Burke in her training, um, but to just turn your head all the way from left to right and look around the room and just name five things of one color that you see. So five blue things that you see. And it helps because you're turning your brainstem and you're engaging your social nervous system, right? Which you can't do if there's say a tiger sitting over there, that's going to eat you. Right. And so we want to move our brainstem. We want to engage our social nervous system and it helps reorient your brain to the here and now rather than, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this stuff done or I'm so stressed or, you know, whatever happens in that moment that causes the anxiety to rise, you can shift it in a heartbeat which I think is a beautiful tool to carry around in your pocket. So I'd like to share that with everybody. Yeah. And it's such a big thing for motherhood, mm -hmm. you know, and I think I did have anxiety in the years, years ago because of my need to do. And I didn't know. I just thought I was getting a lot done, <laughs> you know, and I was, I was very successful at it. And then I was like, Oh, that's maybe that's anxiety. Maybe I was just coping and I, or running. And it's like amazing if you look back at it and I'm just so chill now that I'm like, Oh, it's a different human. You know, it's just great. Cause I, that's why I asked is how do you know when you're in it and you, but you don't know what to do. And so you have to, I guess, you know, see how your children are reacting to you. And then the consciousness is like, this is my feedback mechanism is through them because if there's nobody else there and your, your partner doesn't care, then, then the children come in and it really creates that this different family dynamic if you're not in total harmony. Right. And, you know, I, I think we live in a pretty anxious, high, high paced culture here, right? So things move fast it's like constant information coming at you, things constantly shifting, right? And so there's this natural push, at least in North America, to go faster, right? And and it feels faster. Like and it's I, a victory. Right. And the more you get done, the better you win the game, right? Which, which you know, there's some merit to that, right? Like it makes sense given the culture that we live in. And that's not the only way, right? And so, so while doing lots of things, getting a lot of stuff done, I think 
is a pretty useful way to channel anxiety when you have it, right? Like some people ultra clean their house or something like that. And you're like, ah, that, that's a great goal to accomplish. And, you know, there's some truth in that. And what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if you get to, to live at a more relaxed pace? What if you get to live more in this amazing body that we're given for this time around um, to just be here and be really present instead of being someone who just has to get things done, like to really show up. And it's hard for a lot of people to do that, to really show up, to really be in relationship um, when you are feeling constantly pushed, like I'm not doing enough. We, you know, I need to sign my child up for 15 activities after school or whatever. There's like this intensity around it um, that maybe doesn't need to be there. I totally agree. I'm not big on that. Well, now they're doing soccer. Soccer is like three times a week. And I'm like, what the heck? Three yeah. times a week, <laughs> you know, but it's just what they do. But that's just the norm for soccer for eight-year-olds. Right. You know? <laughs> like what? It's starting, you know, and then they can't really yeah. do anything else because that's too much a lot in my opinion. But anyway, um, I, I do need to mention to listeners is that I have seen people come out of depression with vitamin D injections. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I'm saying it sounds crazy, but like 10 of them, just like a lot of just a, maybe too much for your system and you should go to a doctor to find out. But Lots of vitamin D, like it can really snap people out of it. Ketamine, it, there's a lot of clinics that do ketamine for severe depression, attachment issues, um, the anxiety that goes back and forth. Ketamine, you can hold someone's hand in the clinic throughout the thing and and you don't need it a lot. Um, but I've seen that help a lot. Um, basically, just what's um, um, not mangle, magnesium. Magnesium is very, very, very helpful to calm the the nervous system down. That's what I've mm-hmm. seen for the patients yes. easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like you mentioned, like everybody's everybody's biology is different. So definitely check with whoever your healthcare provider is. Get some, do your own research. Get your own information. And um, you know, I, as a I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not allowed to give medical advice, but um, I always encourage people to look at, you know, different options of um, things that can be helpful. And I think there's so many, so many pieces out, like we're so um, fortunate to have access to a lot of um, amazing things that are, um, you know, kind of cutting edge or seen as new or cutting edge um, for people. And so looking into those pieces and yeah, um, even a sauna blanket, as simple as a sauna blanket, like just Mm -hmm. simple things throughout the day is like, who would have thought like a sauna blanket? It seems like it's a, it's expensive. They're 400, $500, but then you have them the rest of your life and you can jump into it at night and meditate. But it really, I think for, for my patients, I give them, or I recommend that and it change. It's all life altering for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we like move into just another one more quick subject is before as we go through is not quick but perinatal imprinting my favorite subject I love it love it love it tell me everything that you know that's something different that we don't know 
of like the most crucial things that you can program the baby with in the womb or if a woman has a friend that's pregnant and what's a gift they should give them or do you know what I mean? Like what can we do for women to help them? So I always feel like the biggest gift you can give your child is to take care of your own, um, do your own work on yourself. So whatever that looks like for people, if um, I know you've talked some about birth trauma and conception trauma and things like that in prior, um, prior sessions, but it's like, if you had a hard time coming into the world, how do you prepare to have your own baby? Right. If the conception experience was not what you wanted to be, wanted it to be, how do you make up for that now? If you had a hard pregnancy or something hard happened during your pregnancy, how do you resolve that? Right. So it's, it's really doing your own work. And um, so that we don't pass on intergenerational stuff to our kids. Like that was always my most important piece is doing my own work. It still is my most important piece. Um, And so when we're talking about these little beings that we're bringing onto the planet, they really are sentient, right? At some some point. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there, a lot of um, contradictions out there, but they are taking in everything. And this is not to put pressure on pregnant um, parents, but it's really like, how do you, like, if I could bubble wrap those pregnant parents <laughs> um, during their pregnancy so that they could just have like this kind of blissful experience of pregnancy and birth and like easing that next generation in, that's what I would want to do. And so when I'm working with expectant parents, my biggest thing is um, communication, like really talk to your child as if they understand you because they do, right? They might not understand all the words in the way that you're saying them, but they're going to remember this experience. And you can ask any child up to about two years old um, if they remember being in the womb And they'll tell you things that you're not expecting. They'll tell you where they came from before being in the womb. They will tell you things about their birth and post-birth that you are like, there's no way that a child that age could remember. They know it, right? And then after about age two, they start losing kind of that, um, most kids start losing that kind of connection um, and being able to remember it on that level. So like more of the cognitive pieces are coming online at that point. Um, But it's a really beautiful time to really nurture your bonding experience with your child and create um, a healthy environment for them to have really secure attachment with you as a parent. So, you know, the simple things that we always tell people, like sing to your baby, tell your baby what you're doing. If there's a scary experience, explain what happened. If you're going in for a scheduled C-section as, you know, for your birth, tell them what's going to happen, right? Like, this is why we have to do this and it's going to be okay. I'm going to be right here when you come out and everything's going to be okay. Talk to them like a little human being 
because they are a little human being, <laughs> right? Um, and so those pieces, I think, are so critical. And we don't, in general, spend a lot of time doing that, right? Like, we're like, well, people are going to think I'm weird if I'm walking around talking and there's nobody around because I'm I'm talking in my, you know, my belly. Um, but it doesn't really matter what other people think. <laughs> it's so important. Just do it. Just talk to them, right? Um, and you know, really form that connection, like rub your belly, you know, check in with them and, and they, you know, you'll feel your baby rub back, right? Like it's, it's a beautiful time to connect uh, before baby comes into the world. And then there's this whole foundation of trust that's been built, right? It's, um, it's a really sweet time, I think. And if you're, you know, if this is not your first rodeo, you're on your second or third child, um, have your older children connect with baby, right? And often babies will go to older children. Like I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard women say, we weren't sure what to name baby number three. And baby number three goes to child number one and says, my name is so-and-so. And child number one comes back and says, I know the baby's name. Baby talked to me and that this is what the baby's name is, Right. And so they have these connections with their siblings, which I think is so amazing. Yeah, because it's like a soul group and everyone's just waiting for each other to arrive. And they're like, you're finally here. I've been waiting you know, five exactly. years for you. Um, what was I? I have a good question for you. Oh, yeah. Do you have any studies that you've heard of that you never forgot? You're like, you read this perinatal study of just something magical happening that you remember that just kind of shook you through your education of, you know, even on parenthood or couple relationships or, you know, perinatal development that's like, wow, if I would have known that, that would have changed my life. Um, there are so many studies out there um, that changed my life in terms of how I, I think about pre and perinatal um, experiences. Um and, you know, there's some great work. Um, I'm trying to think of the researcher's last name, but there, um, there's work that's been done in Japan um, where they've done lots of interviews with pregnant, um, pregnant parents and um, having them check in with their babies and having these whole um, interactions and then interviewing the children later on when they're like two or three years old and they remember these conversations. They remember all of that. Um, but I guess for me, my own personal experience is what stuck with me, right? So like having my, at that point, two-year-old come over and say, um, mommy, you really liked eating mint chocolate chip ice cream <laughs> while I was in your belly and having no, no lead up to that, never having had any mint chocolate chip ice cream when she was born, nothing like that, but I was very nauseous during my first pregnancy. And so I was eating a lot of mint and that was one of my go-tos um, just to have a child say that, right? Um, like remembering that experience. I'm like, wow, like, how did you, like, how did you know that? She's like, you ate it all the time, right? And I, I can't tell you the number of times um, usually moms have come to me and said, my child just said this thing that 
there's no way they could know that. I've never mentioned it. We've never talked about it. It's never been anything. Um, and they'll come, the child will come up and out of their mouth will come something that is totally unexpected. Um, and so that I think like the personal experience and the experiences of my clients um, or hearing from their children, um, these uh, pieces that have happened prenatally or even during birth, you know, like I had this experience, I got stuck or something and they remember it without having heard the story. And I used to practice Kundalini yoga, like, like it was my full-time job. And now I don't, but cause I did, I like graduated. Um, but there was, um, rebirthing sets that were wild and they would take like, they, there were rebirthing sets that go through all the times of that you were in the womb that reprograms like the glitches and certain times when like the glitches would occur. And I remember one of them, one of the major glitches is around seven months. I say glitch because it's like the biggest flips in psych or the biggest issues that may happen around certain periods of connecting and development. Right. But it's, it's kind of wild, you know, that this is a yogi that created all this stuff, true or not. I don't think he studied anything in medicine. And he, he like, well, you could open a book and he was pretty accurate with like, this is the, this is what happens at this month. And this is what the happens if you do this. And if you do this, this is what's going to happen to the kid. And then that's why you're acting like that. So let's fix it. Right. Did they work or not? Well, I think so. You know, probably not as much as other things, but man, you know, but whatever you have access to. Yeah. Right. You just start where you are. Like, you know, I hear a lot of people say like, what about people who can't afford to go to therapy or whatever? I'm like, there's so many tools out there that you can use. Yeah. Like YouTube. Uh, support yourself. Right. Like do, do your work, however you need to do it, whatever's going to work for you, do your work so that you can have an easier time in this in this go round in life, right? And you can make it easier if you bring children in the world, make it easier on them, right? And then hopefully, my my aim is to um, try to help support these little ones coming in, so that they're growing up without having to do quite as much work as their parents, right? And hopefully, the following generation will maybe even need to do less. Like maybe we'll kind of become these more enlightened beings over time who knows yeah i would think so at least you know maybe if it's not the whole population it'll be a higher percentage each time mm -hmm. i do yeah. think that i just think yeah. that they're just not going to have as many issues because they just don't come in with it or they don't have the capability of of holding it in the same patterns you know right. or they'll have different kinds of issues like i think you know one of the biggest issues is climate change, right? They'll have to deal with things that, you know, we're leaving behind. And then um, before we go, any nutrition things for, you know, parents or that you just uh, like your go-tos, it's really important that people miss. Um, again, not being a medical doctor, I can't offer medical advice, but um, I would just say like, eat as healthy as you can. <laughs> Um, preconception all the way through, like for if you're going to nurse your baby for as long as you nurse your baby, like really taking care of your own vessel that your baby is, you know, just staying in and then feeding your baby as well as you can. 
don't take my advice of eating um, mint chocolate chip ice cream through your pregnancy, though it did help and make me happy. Um, I just, you know, everybody, everybody eats differently. So I think it's hard to give like a, a blanket statement, but I think just um, like a, a well-balanced, healthy, um, healthy diet is, is key, right? Like you're, you're really setting up um, the health of your, your baby as well as yourself. And you can keep yourself out of a lot of trouble, like gestational diabetes and things like that by eating really mindfully and drink lots of water. Mm -hmm. Lots of water. How can people work with you if they need any of these help? And you also do birth trauma, which we didn't even get into, but how can people help or find you if they need help? Sure. So um, I'm allowed to practice as a psychotherapist in Colorado. So if you're in Colorado, um, even if you don't live here, if you're physically in Colorado, I can work with you doing um, birth trauma work. I do all my work online now um, or, you know, other, other potential issues that are coming up, I'm, you know, skilled as a psychotherapist over time, lots of different um, modalities. Um, and also um, if you're more interested in coaching, which I can do internationally, um, I have a very separate um, separate business, separate website for that. So my my psychotherapy website is Dr. like Dr. Duger, my last name, therapy.com. Um, and you can just look up my name and you'll find it. And then my coaching piece is preparedforparenthood.com. And so two different websites, different kind of audiences, um, similar issues. I'm just not technically allowed to practice as a psychotherapist outside of Colorado. So that's where my license is. So would love to hear from people, um, feedback, questions, any of that, feel free to reach out. You can um, catch me on either one of those websites by just hitting contact. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.